I said to him, look, Mr. Rose, I'm going to ask you a really critical question. And I want you to be very careful. And the place just went dead silent. On this episode of Wavemaker Conversations, the former commissioner of Major League Baseball, Faye Vincent, takes us behind the scenes into the investigation of Pete Rose. I said, Mr. Rose, I'm going to ask you about betting on baseball. Have you ever bet on a baseball game in which you're an interested party? Have you ever been involved in betting on baseball in any form? With a decision approaching on whether to reinstate the man who holds the record for most career hits, we hear in depth from the man who supervised the investigation that led to Rose's banishment from baseball. His denial was strong and, uh, you know, we'd been around. I mean, we thought we could smell a lie. And not any one of us thought that Rose was lying to us. We didn't believe Rose was that stupid. It turns out we were wrong on every count. Welcome to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. I'm Michael Shoulder. This is part two of the Faye Vincent Sessions. If you missed part one, I strongly recommend you take the time to hear that episode as Faye Vincent recounts the devastating accident in his freshman year of college, a four-story fall that left him, a formidable athlete, permanently disabled. And my mother, who was a great woman, said to me, look, your brain is fine. Your body's hurt badly, but there's nothing wrong with your brain. And you ought to be able to construct a very good life centered on your brain, not on your legs. What followed from his mother's advice is a riveting tale of overcoming adversity. And now it's time to talk about baseball, about the investigation that has withstood careful scrutiny for more than 25 years. Faye Vincent, thank you for inviting me back into your home. I appreciate it greatly. Welcome to Wavemaker Conversations. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here with you. What I would love you to do is take us back to that time in the late 1980s when did you first get wind that something might be going on with Pete Rose? Walk me through how that led to the investigation, how it led to the hiring of a lawyer named John Dowd, who then did a 225-page report on an investigation which led to the expulsion of Pete Rose from baseball. Walk me through that backstory. Well, you know, it, we, we would be here for hours if I took you through it. And let me try to do it in reasonably brief form. Jamadi was elected commissioner in the late fall of 1988 to take office when Peter Uberoth decided to leave baseball. Uberoth was in a lame duck situation from the fall of 88 when Bart was elected until the spring of 89 when Uberoth eventually left. In that interregnum, Uberoth was commissioner. I was there unpaid and without any portfolio, but I was there helping Bart. And we were getting ready to take command of baseball. Uberoth got a call from Sports Illustrated telling him, giving him notice, warning, that they were going to run in a week or two, I think in a week, and a big expose that they had broken a story that Pete Rose 
had been betting on baseball as a player and as manager, and it was going to be a blockbuster of a revelation. You have to go back. There had never been a story like that. That is, there had never been any major scandal involving betting on baseball for decades. And the last one that was a major crisis had been in the 1920s after the 1919 World Series, which led to the the White Sox scandal, the appointment of, of Landis as commissioner, the first commissioner. So Uberoth properly called Bart and me and said, my God, look at, I've got this call. What are we going to do? Now, of the three of us, I was the only one who was a lawyer. Jamadi and Uberoth were educated business people. And not surprisingly, I had more background. I'd come from the SEC. I knew something about uh, trouble. I knew sort of what the what the book said you would do in something like this. Oh, you both was very good. He said, I'd like to get this matter wrapped up very quickly because whatever's going on with Rose, I want to be fair to you guys. I want to get rid of it so you start clean and you don't have to worry about. And we all thought that it was unlikely to be a major issue. I mean, it was hard for any of us to believe that Rose was betting on baseball, despite what Sports Illustrated told Ubra. Bart and I met. By the, by the way, why did you find that so hard to believe? Because it was such a stupid thing for a ball player to do. It was the, I mean, it was the third rail, and we couldn't believe that anybody with half a brain would touch that rail and electrocute themselves. We knew that if Rose had been betting on baseball, he was going to get thrown out of baseball. And we, we couldn't believe that a smart, successful guy would be dumb enough to bet on baseball in a circumstance where he'd be caught. And any circumstance was likely to be one in which he'd be caught. We had the skeptics, cynical view of a news story. We, we innately wanted to get information, but we really were doubtful that uh, it would turn out to be true. And I suggested to Uberoth and Giamatti that we bring Rose in immediately and ask him whether this story was true. In other words, we confront Rose with exactly what we had. A, that was the fair thing to do, and B, it would be the underpinning for everything that would follow. That is, once we talked to Rose and we had him, as we thought we would have, denying that he bet on baseball, we would then be in a position to explore the facts. And I said, this is the traditional law enforcement uh, investigatory route. And you have to remember that we knew, I knew certainly, we had no subpoena power, so we had no ability to really compel Rose to do anything other than the inherent power and authority of the commissionership. So we did that. We called Rose in, Rose came in, we had a meeting with him in New York. He came with some lawyers. We told him if he wanted to bring lawyers, he was free to do so. 
by the way, there's a footnote required here. The thing that in this circumstance you have to do, you have to have a major concern about treating a putative defendant fairly in this case. That's against the background of what fiasco just happened with the NFL. From the very beginning, Bard and I, and later John Dowd, agreed that the thing we had to do was overwhelm Rose and his lawyers with kindness, if you will. We had to make sure that they could never complain that they weren't treated fairly. The meeting uh, with Rose and uh, Uberoth and Jamadi was a classic meeting in the sense that Jamadi knew Rose. They were jocking around about their prior talks. It was one of those situations where the meeting started and everybody was so busy yucking it up that we never got, never is not the right word, we were slow and I was very impatient. So finally I, the one who had no authority, no background, Rose didn't even know my name or who the hell I was, he later called me that crippled guy, which I thought was so nice and warm and really dumb on his part. I said to him, look, Mr. Rose, everybody here is having fun. We're here on an important matter. I'm going to ask you a really critical question. And I want you to be very careful. And the place just went dead silent. I said, Mr. Rose, I'm going to ask you about betting on baseball. Have you ever bet on a baseball game in which you're an interested party have you ever been involved in betting on baseball in any form? And he looked at me and he said, now he'd been warned that that was, of course, the point of the meeting. And he said, no, absolutely not. I bet on everything. I bet on the dogs. I bet on football. I bet on basketball. I don't bet on baseball. I'm not that stupid. I'm not that dumb. I would never do that. And I pushed him. I said, look, I'm going to ask it again with another warning to you that we're going to find out whether you bet on baseball. That is, we are going to do a major investigation. So if you're lying to us, you're compounding an already serious problem. Don't lie to us because we'll find out very quickly. I mean, this is what we're good at. And the question is, again, are you very sure that you have never bet on baseball in any form? And he said, no, I've never done it. I'm too smart for that. I said, okay. And the, the meeting dribbled away. And I remember saying to you, Broth and Bart, what do you think? And all three of us agreed that Rose was very credible. His denial was strong. And, uh, you know, we'd been around. I mean, I, we thought we could smell a lie, and not any one of us thought that Rose was lying to us. We thought it made no sense for him, A, to a bet on baseball, and then if he did it to lie to us, that would be a really stupid thing. We didn't believe Rose was that stupid. It turns out we were wrong on every count. It's interesting, by the way, that three wise, experienced men how, how much time did you have between the time you realized we've got to call this guy in till the time he came in? And it sounds like you just didn't think you needed to prepare that much for this particular meeting. 
Well, we didn't have much to go on in the sense that we couldn't get the Sports Illustrated story. It hadn't been written. So you just had a few sentences, a, a, a tip from Sports Illustrated. That's correct. We didn't have anything. And so we had to start. And I think we did the right thing. I think I have to start with him and see what happens. So he leaves the room. You're convinced that he's telling the truth at that moment. And then your next step is what? Next step is I said we have to start our own investigation. We can't wait for Sports Illustrated to come out and then say we, we don't have any facts, we're not doing anything. We had to get ahead of anything that was going to come our way, and that meant we had to be hard at work. And so Ubaroth said, well, whatever you guys want to do, I'll do it. And I said, we should hire a senior experienced prosecutor who does this for a living. We need a tough cookie who's been in the Justice Department, who knows how to do this, and we need to hire him immediately, and we have to get him out there checking on Rose. And I, I think I said at the time, if it's there, it's not gonna be hard to find. I mean, it's not as if you can bet as a major league player and not leave footprints all over the place. I said, I'm, I'm guessing that if he's done it, we're going to find out about it in no time. And one of the places we'd start is with the witness that we knew uh, Sports Illustrated was using. So not surprisingly, Ubaroth and Giamatti said, well, you've been around. Who do you want to do this investigation? And I said, the guy's name is John Dowd. He's in Washington. He's a prosecutor. Uh, just left the Justice Department. He's a tough cookie. He's a former Marine. He's 6'5". He's all Marine. He's yes, sir, no, sir. He salutes at the drop of a hat. I said to Bart, you will like him. He's your kind of guy. He's, he's all business. He's buttoned up. He's been around. He knows this game. And uh, he's very plugged into the FBI. And he has all sorts of connections that will be helpful. He knows where there are FBI alumni in Cincinnati, and he'll be able to get into the police and get what they know and what's going on out there in no time. Cincinnati being people, Cincinnati Reds, Pete where, Rhodes team. That's right. We hired John Dowd. In a moment, the evidence begins to pour in. Rose was the manager of Cincinnati. He had an office in the clubhouse. As the game time approached, the game started, let's say, at 7.30. At 7.15, we found phone records from Rose's office to a phone number in Kentucky. We checked. The phone number was a bookie's office in Kentucky. Behind the scenes of the 1989 investigation that led to the banishment of Pete Rose from baseball with the man who supervised it, Faye Vincent. I'm Michael Shoulder, and this is Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. I'm Michael Shoulder. My guest, the former commissioner of Major League Baseball, Faye Vincent. 
He is sharing the inside story of the 1989 investigation into baseball's all-time hit leader, Pete Rose, after receiving a tip that Rose had been gambling on baseball. We pick up the story with the hiring of former prosecutor John Dowd to lead the investigation. We put John to work, and in no time, he called me and he said, uh, say, this guy's been betting on baseball it's all over here. He said, there are probably 20 guys I've already talked to. It's not going to be difficult. The problem is going to be, it's, there's so much of it that it's going to take a while to drill out the cavity, but it's a big cavity. Bart and I decided that since he was going to be the judge, it's very important to structure this thing in such a way that John Dowd would report to me and I would get all the data from Dowd and I would be careful about how I dealt with Bart because he was eventually going to have to hear this case. It's a cumbersome procedural problem, but the essence of it is that whatever you do, you have to do it overwhelmingly and carefully and cautiously fair because the only risk is that when you get to the bottom of this that someone says you weren't treating in our case Pete Rose fairly so we made a number of procedural decisions from the outset Bart said look every piece of paper every piece of information anything that you guys dig up I want you to immediately turn that over completely to Rose and his lawyers. So we're not going to hide the ball at all. At the same time, Faye will know everything that's going on, but everything he knows, every week we want John to write a memo or call up the lawyers and turn over not only information that we get from third parties, but anything that we get internally. So we, if John got some witness who sent in a piece of paper, we would turn that piece of paper right over to uh, Rose's lawyers. We were overwhelmingly careful because I think we were smart. We recognized that we didn't want any judge or anybody looking over our shoulder after a few months of this and say, you were not fair. We told Rose everything, every allegation, every, so he had the whole story. And that, of course, his lawyers had it all. Now, the lawyers weren't stupid. As they saw this mountain of stuff come in, they realized they got a really tough problem. I mean, they have a defendant who's been lying, who's a very major political figure, and who has no case. I mean, the case mounted up for us in such a way that the lawyers knew that um, they were in very tough shape. The investigation went on, and it took quite a while. Now, in that period, as the information mounted, our whole approach changed because we realized that Rose had been betting on baseball. And I'll give you a couple of factual developments that made it crystal clear. Rose was the manager of Cincinnati. He had an office in the clubhouse as the game time approached, the game started 
let's say it's 7.30. At 7.15, we found phone records from Rose's office to a phone number in Kentucky. We checked, the phone number was a bookie's office in Kentucky. And we found all sorts of other calls at around that time where Rose was calling people around baseball. He would call his former manager and he would ask his friend questions about how the Detroit pitcher looked because he was trying to decide if he'd bet a thousand or two thousand dollars on that game where Detroit was playing Cleveland and he wanted to know from his friend. Now I later talked to the guy, the manager, who was a very good guy, is now dead. And he was when he found out about what Rose was really he didn't he thought Rose was just being interesting. He he didn't suspect that Rose was when he found out that Rose was betting on the Detroit game and he was the manager of Detroit, he realized he would he was being used. Unbeknownst to Rose, the owner of the Cincinnati team was annoyed at all the toll calls that were being made from the clubhouse, she thought, by players. So she put a notice out that all phone calls had to be recorded because she wanted to know who these guys were calling and who was making the calls. She was getting phone bills. Now, Rose didn't realize that they were keeping all these records. And so as we put together the data, we found calls at the bookies and all these other people around baseball. And we gave that data to Rose's lawyers. Now, there were a lot of things you could say about that. Not any one of them was going to be helpful to Pete Rose. We eventually took Rose's testimony. We put him under oath. The lawyers were there. Again, we were very careful. We wanted Now, you didn't have subpoena power, but he agreed to come in under oath. Because if he took the position of thumbing his nose at Bart or me, we would have said, if you don't cooperate, you're out of baseball. I mean, there was no way we were going to keep him in baseball if he didn't cooperate. We'd assume that he was lying and we'd throw him out. And of course, that, by the way, that change happened over the course of how many months from there's no way this guy could have done this to if he doesn't come and cooperate, he's out of baseball. How long did that change take? Uh, it was very quick because Dowd was calling me three or four times a week and said, Faye, I got 15 witnesses. I have a guy, I remember he called me one day and he said, I have a guy that was in their car with Pete and they're weightlifters and they were going to an exercise club and Rose made a bet on the car phone and the guy heard him make the bet. And the guy is a salesman for some paper guy. He had no connection with Rose, no reason to lie. Bart said, if I put this guy in front of a jury, he said, the jury's gonna believe him. He said, he's a perfect witness. He was just in the car with Rose and Rose doesn't seem to care. And I know now we have this guy and he's telling the truth and he had no reason not to tell. He couldn't make it up. It all fits together. And anyway, we quickly came to the conclusion that we were gonna have to have a hearing. The way baseball works is 
we would have had Rose come in and had a little trial in which he would be accused of betting on baseball. We'd have John present the evidence, which we knew was going to be overwhelming. And then we'd have Rose testify and Bart would make the judgment. And we knew that Rose had no defense. So what happened, Rose's lawyers, not surprisingly, said the one thing we can never do is have Rose appear before the commissioner. We have to get, we have to weaken the commissioner's hand so that he makes a deal with us. And the first thing they did is they called me and said, we want to make a deal with you. This has gone on and, and we recognize Pete has done some stupid things, but would you come out here and talk to us? about a deal. And I said, I have to talk to Bart. I don't know why we'd want to talk to you about a deal, but I'll see what Bart has to say. I talked to Bart, John and I, and Bart said, uh, well, why would they talk to you and not to me? And I said, because it's unlikely we're going to make a deal and they want to soften you up. So they want to get in a meeting with you where you say something that will make you disqualified as a trier. They're trying to taint you. So the first thing we do is you don't go anywhere. The question is, do I go anywhere? And I'm not sure we want to meet with these guys. It's almost a protect the judge so the judge does not well, have because to anything recuse that, himself. Exactly. All they looked for was some opening that had nothing to do with Pete. They wanted to shift this. It's not unlike what's going on in in all these political cases, the issue is never what it should be. It's always what, it's always to move away from the facts and onto something that has nothing to do. So the issue was going to be Bart. And Bart didn't like that at all because he was a smart guy and he didn't like the idea that he was being defended. I mean, he thought I was being silly and not trusting of him to handle himself in a tough environment. And I was saying, Bart, it had nothing to do with how smart you are. Inevitably, there's going to be a sentence in that meeting you have with these guys that's going to cause trouble. It just has to be. So he said, well, I want to hear what they have to say. You go out there. They wanted to meet in Dayton or something. It was 4th of July weekend. And, and I went out there all by myself, John wasn't along. And they said, the lawyers said, uh, we're willing to make a deal with you, but we don't want Rose to be thrown out of baseball. We might agree to a suspension or a fine, but probably a fine would be the right thing. He didn't do anything wrong. We don't agree that he bet on baseball. I said, look, he's as guilty of betting on baseball as anybody could possibly be. And if you give us a little more time, the evidence is going to be so overwhelming that you won't even, there's no way you're going to be able to put a defense on. There is no defense. Why? Because he did it and he wasn't careful. And he, we have witnesses and you know them all because they knew because we'd given them everything. And I said, we both know that what you're doing here is trying to make a deal for some sort of imprisonment, not literally, but 
instead of execution. The question is not, in our minds, whether we make a deal with you. The question is, does it make any sense to do anything other than throw him out of baseball for life? He, he did it. The only question we have to figure out is, what are we going to do about it? And they said, no, he's a national treasure. That was the great moment in sports. He said to me, you guys don't realize it, but he is the national treasure. He's the thing that represents baseball. And if you hurt him, you hurt baseball. And we're telling you, you can't hurt him because you're going to hurt yourselves very badly. And I said, you know, if I go back and tell this Italian that I work for that Pete Rose is the national treasure, he's going to use some very bad words. He's going to say some words that are not befitting of the former president of Yale. They're going to be very bad words. And he's going to say baseball is the national treasure and not Pete Rose. And I said, I don't think you're going anywhere with that. And they said, well, tell him. So I went back and I said, Bart, hold on to your hat, sit down, and don't start screaming. Just listen. And I told him in about three, he started yelling out in Italian. Now, I understand a lot of bad Italian because I grew up in New Haven and I know all the bad words. And he, he was crazed. He said, Faye, screw him. That wasn't what he said. Uh, he said, baseball is that. I said, I told them that's exactly what you were going to say. He actually did say to you, baseball, said, baseball is, the is the national treasure. It's not any one guy. He said Babe Ruth died. They played the next year. Ted Williams retired. Joe Maggio retired. Those are treasures. The next year, baseball went right on. There's always another national treasure like Pete Rose. There are a lot of them. He said baseball is what we care about. He said, call them back and tell them there's no deal and we'll be in touch with them in the, in the legal course. So I called them back and I said, there's no deal. Could you imagine if Bart Giamatti, given the way you're describing him and his temper and his language, if he, if he were the one to have gone to meet with Rose's representatives and they raised this issue and they said, you know, you're going to hurt you're the game you love because he is the national treasure. Would he have reacted the same way with the outburst? Was he no, too smart for that? No, he's a very bright guy. But he would have said things that it was probably just as well we didn't have him saying. Which, by the way, goes into that one of those basic principles of negotiation. Tell me if, if this is something you subscribe to. It sounds like you do. Don't get emotional in negotiations. No, and that's what lawyers are trained to do. I mean... You know, I was, I'd been a lawyer a long time by then, and I had been in a bunch of sessions like that. But I'd very rarely been in one where I was on a team, except at the SEC, where we had all the cards. Here, we had told the other side everything, so they knew everything I knew. And by, and by the way, I just, I have to pause on that, because I'm fascinated with that, and you used the term overwhelmingly fair. You want to be overwhelmingly fair. Uh, just as a slight aside, if the government handled its affairs this way, I mean, we're now hearing about new, you know, stepped up prosecutions of leading Wall Street 
investment bankers who might be doing the wrong thing. Could the government handle its own cases in that same way, being overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly transparent, sharing information as they got it, or would that backfire? Well, it's a very good question, and the answer is the government should be overwhelmingly fair. And there are legal requirements that if a prosecution comes up with information that's exculpatory, that is, that would be helpful to the defense, they have to turn it over immediately. In a moment on this episode of Wavemaker Conversations, Pete Rose and his legal team sue baseball's commissioner and win before they lose. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. I'm Michael Shoulder. This is part two of the Faye Vincent Sessions, featuring the former commissioner of Major League Baseball. He is sharing in greater detail than he has ever shared before the inside story of the investigation that concluded Pete Rose bet on baseball, including on his own team when he was manager of the Cincinnati Reds. So now going back, you've got all the evidence. Bart lets you know in no uncertain terms that there's going to be no deal. And then we got ourselves that we, we made a bad mistake and it almost sidetracked the whole thing. This fellow Jansen, who had been the original witness, was up for sentencing in Cincinnati. And he asked John Dowd to write a letter to the judge saying that Jansen had been helpful to us. John, who was a very good lawyer, wrote a letter to the judge. Now, that turned out to be a very bad mistake because, again, that letter was the little tiny thing that Rose's lawyer seized on to say that John, and therefore Bart, Bart was then compromised because John was vouching for a witness saying that Jansen has told us the truth. Well, the truth was gonna be the issue in front of Giamatti and the judge, bless his heart, was a friend of Rose's lawyers, and the minute he got the letter from Dowd, the, this judge in Cincinnati, local guy, calls up Rose's lawyers and said, you won't believe it, but Giamatti's lawyer has just written me a letter vouching for Jansen's veracity. Now, John didn't see that coming, and he defends it to this day, it was a mistake. I love John, but I would have said... Well, what was his justification for it? In hindsight, after looking at the potential damage that could have done... His, his, his defense was a very good one, namely, lawyers write these all the, all the time. Judges get hundreds of them anytime there's a sentencing. This is no big deal. It doesn't mean that I'm compromised or I am giving the judge the benefit of my opinion. It's not that I'm a trier of fact. I believe Jansen was helpful, forthright, totally honest, wants to make his peace, and deserves to be recognized for cooperating with us. He didn't have to cooperate. We have no subpoena power. John said, I'm trying to be nice to a guy who was 
good to us. Jansen didn't have to help you and me, he helped us. Now, had John come to me, this is gonna sound arrogant, I would have said to him, John, don't write the letter because all these guys are gonna look for is some little thing. It's like the, the reason we didn't have Bart go to Dayton. Don't write any letters that have any, could have any double meaning. You're probably right, it's innocent, and you probably won't have any trouble with it. But if you do it, it's dangerous. And you might get away with it, you might not. John sent the letter. He never asked me about it. And later it caused trouble because Bart was very upset that John wrote the letter. He thought it was a terrible mistake. We had a tough time because it was the one time when Bart lost his cool. Blame me, blame John. It was a bloody little interregnum there and we got through it but what happened is they immediately sued Bart in a local court in Cincinnati saying that Bart could no longer be the trier of fact or hear the Rose case he should be disqualified and John was going to be the principal witness because he wrote the letter to the judge so they had a trial in Cincinnati to try to enjoin this whole investigation and the judge issued the injunction. Now he's a local judge and we had predicted that. When we once we got ourselves in the soup out there, there again, Bart was a non lawyer. He was all upset. He thought that John's letter had blown the whole proceeding that we had so carefully put together and I kept saying the judge is corrupt. He doesn't think he's corrupt, but he's he's going to side with Pete Rose because he lives in Cincinnati and Rose is a national treasure and everybody in Cincinnati is on the Rose side and not on your side. You got to expect that A, we're going to lose and B, under the laws of the United States, a non-citizen who loses or gets into a lawsuit as a defendant in Cincinnati, like Bart, has the right to remove that case from a state court to a federal court. There aren't three people in the United States that understand that other than lawyers. So wait, Bart, Bart was not a US citizen? Bart was a citizen of Connecticut and he was sued in a Cincinnati court. Under our system, because the Virginians didn't trust the Massachusetts people when the country was put together, nobody in Massachusetts wanted to be sued in Virginia in a Virginia court. So our federal system has a wonderful provision called removal. It is a constitutional right of a citizen of Connecticut sued in Ohio to remove the case from the local court where he's gonna be screwed to a federal court where it is assumed the federal judge will be much less amenable to local pressures. It works, but it's a huge part of our governance system, federal system. Now I'm trying to explain to Bart, Bart, we're going to let this judge step in it and he's going to do it. And then we're going to go to a federal court and say, 
we're getting screwed. We're in a local court. You can't have a Pete Rose case tried in Cincinnati. We're going to get hurt. We want you, dear sir, federal court, to take jurisdiction of this case away from the local traffic court judge and put it in a federal court where you're appointed for life, where the local court's elected for five years, where he has to run for re-election knowing that if he rules against Rose, he's out of a job. So he has to rule for Rose, the local guy. You do not. You're a federal judge. You're here for life. And we removed the case. Bart was dying in this period. But again, I'm the lawyer, so I say to him, Bart, we're going to win. When we get a real judge, not this traffic court guy, when we get to a real federal judge, he's going to see that this is an open and shut case for removal. He has to remove it. And by the way, it's amazing to me that now suddenly this team, which uh, your team, which had sounds like dozens of witnesses, overwhelming evidence against Pete Rose because of this one little note about one of the witnesses who could have been removed and the case would still have been just as strong, correct? Yes. So it's amazing to me that despite that mountain of evidence, that one little misstep like that could jeopardize something, although you didn't think ultimately it was gonna jeopardize it. Well, it shouldn't have, and I didn't think it would, but the judge didn't caught up, get caught up in that. And so I got a call from our lawyer down there, and he said, we want it. The judge in Dayton or wherever he was has just issued a ruling saying that he's going to hear the case from now on. It's been removed to his jurisdiction the guy said he's a first-rate judge, and he's figured this out. And he said he'll hear everybody tomorrow morning on uh, what the next step is, and please be at his courthouse at uh, 9 in the morning, and he's in charge. And then about an hour later, I got a call from Rose's lawyer saying, uh, that's it, game, set, match. Whatever agreement you want, you write it and we'll sign it because we know it's going to the federal court and uh, it's over. So that was, I think, a fascinating story because it had everything. I mean, it had the home team gets ahead, the home team gets behind, the good guys get ahead, the good guys get behind. I mean, it's really quite an interesting story. And that day, the guy's name was Katz. He called me and he said, Faye, you write the agreement. Pete will sign it. Get it to me immediately. I wrote an agreement that day based on an SEC form in which I said, we'll follow the SEC format. It's called a neither admit nor deny agreement. The defendant neither admits nor denies the accusation against him but he agrees to the punishment. So the agreement said, Peter Edward Rose admits that baseball has a basis for these allegations. He admits that it's an appropriate proceeding. 
he admits and he agrees not to challenge it in court or otherwise. I mean, I wrote, it's a pretty tough agreement. And then it says, but Rose neither admits nor denies the underlying allegations, but he agrees that he'll be put on the permanently ineligible list. That's the baseball term for out of baseball for life, that there's no other agreement. In other words, I wrote in there, there's no side agreement, there's no special agreement that he's ever coming back. There's no understanding about his being reinstated, none of that. And Rose signed it and Bart signed it. And I was the witness for Bart and it's, a, it's an important document. And of course, in the press conference, that day, maybe it was a day or two later, Rose said, I didn't bet on baseball. Now that's a denial that totally violates the agreement. But that's Pete Rose. Bart said that although I didn't make a finding, I can't, because there was no hearing, Bart couldn't say as a matter of law, I found him to have bet on baseball. One of the reporters said, do you believe he bet on baseball? And Bart said, yes, I believe he bet on baseball. Rose was crazy about that because I think his lawyers had said to him, Bart isn't gonna make a finding that you bet on baseball. But Bart was too clever for that. We didn't make a finding, but when a reporter says it is your belief, is it your belief? We told Bart he could answer that question. So when Pete Rose came out and denied it, at that point, had the Dowd report been published? Yes. Well, I don't know if it was a public document. I think it was because Rose's lawyers attached the Dowd report as one of their exhibits in the Cincinnati law case. Although we hadn't made it public, it was a public document. And when people said, is it a public document? We said, yes because it was filed. In other words, the commissioner's office didn't make it public. Rose's lawyers made it public. Before we end this episode in a moment, Faye Vincent's prediction on whether the current commissioner of baseball will reinstate Pete Rose, a decision expected any week now. I'm Michael Shoulder. This is Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Now, let me ask you just to wrap this up. So we know that Pete Rose is maybe for the rest of his life, periodically going to try to get reinstated into baseball. And every time you're asked, you say no. He should not be, and the reasons are clear based on what the story you just told us. Would there be anything, any piece of evidence or any insight into human nature or I don't know how religious a man you are. You tell me if if religion and your ethics code comes into play in this. Is there any reason you could ever see to say, you know, let us forgive this sin? The principal reason that I contend Pete Rose should not be reinstated is the deterrent effect of the sanction that he has uh, been living with. He is out of baseball for life with no understanding that he'll ever be reinstated. 
And the deterrent effect is such that people in baseball, umpires, commissioners, general managers, players, do not bet on baseball. There is no doubt that that deterrent is totally effective. Pete Rose is the only baseball person in the last 75 years to have been thrown out of baseball for having bet on baseball. And that's a deterrent that everybody in baseball knows. They know that it's the third rail. If you bet on baseball and just touch that third rail for a split second, you are dead. You will go out of baseball for life. And nobody, this is important, nobody has ever been reinstated. So even if you're a Hall of Fame quality player like Pete Rose, and you look at what baseball stands for, baseball stands for the proposition that it has no tolerance for gambling on baseball. And Rose has never understood that. Rose believes that after 30 years, he should be reinstated because some religious principle of mercy comes into effect. He served his time. Uh, he's really sorry. Of course, he's really not. And that baseball should lighten up and let him back as a uh, exercise in forgiving and forgetting. Baseball can't do that because no commissioner wants to be responsible for what happens if you say Rose is not gonna be punished anymore. Are we really saying we're gonna let really good ball players bet on baseball, spend 30 years out in the wilderness, but then come back and either be admitted to the Hall of Fame or be honored or be treated as a contrite citizen. I don't think that's enough. This is all about baseball. What's baseball's interest? Baseball's interest is in keeping gambling from being a problem. One thing we know for certain, it's not a problem. One thing we know for certain is if you change it, it might become a problem. So why would you change it? It's not going to happen, by the way. Faye Vincent, thank you for joining me on this Wavemaker Conversations You're very podcast. Welcome. My thanks to Faye Vincent for carving out so much time for me to explore my insane curiosity about the Pete Rose story, about other baseball tales, which I hope to share with you in the future. But first and foremost, I appreciate him sharing the details of his journey from a hospital bed in his freshman year of college, paralyzed for months from the chest down to the pinnacle of the movie industry, all before baseball even entered the picture. Thanks also to Brian Morris, my superb audio producer and editor on the Faye Vincent Sessions. If you like what you're hearing on Wavemaker Conversations, a podcast for the insanely curious, you can subscribe on iTunes. If you have an iPhone, look for that purple microphone icon. A lot of people don't know it's there. It's right on your screen. Touch it. Search Wavemaker, click on the Wavemaker logo, and then click subscribe. It's free. If you're on Android, you can listen on the new CBS Podcast Network. Play it at play.it slash Wavemaker. And if you can't get enough of these Wavemaker stories, you can go to my website, wavemaker.me. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Michael Shoulder. To all the Wavemaker subscribers, Thank you for being insanely curious.